turn in your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 6 tonight. Luke chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 28 of Luke 6 uh, and consider this evening how prayer imparts a focus of benevolence, of love and compassion for others. Um, but before we get started, let's just start off with a word of prayer. Ask the Lord to bless our time in his word and in prayer together as a church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for uh, the chance that we have as your children to gather uh, before you this evening. Father, I, uh, I pray that you would help us to never forget the great privilege that prayer is, a privilege that is bought by the blood of Christ, that this evening we can lay our hands upon your throne and find it to be a throne of grace that gives us mercy and grace uh, to help us in our time of need. Father, we thank you that because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross, um, we uh, who were once children of wrath have become your children, and we can cry out to you from our hearts, Abba, Father, and know that you hear our prayers and respond in love to them. Uh, for our good, eternal good, and for your eternal glory. And so, Father, we just pray that tonight we would honor you. Uh, I pray, Father, that you would help us to walk through your word and understand it correctly tonight uh, so that we might uh, walk in a manner that is uh, pleasing in your sight. And, Father, I also pray that um, you would help us as we come to the moment of prayer Father, help us to seek eagerly to pray according to your will and to pray in faith, knowing that you will answer. Um, give us grace towards this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, now, if you recall, we're going through a study right now entitled Principles on Prayer from the Life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And as we go through this six-part uh, study, we find ourselves tonight in section 3 which is principles on prayer from the ministry of Jesus. Uh, see, Jesus ministered in the towns and the villages all throughout Israel for about three and a half years, and even though he focused primarily on teaching the gospel to the crowds that were made up of so many people who thought they had a relationship with God but did not, uh, even though he focused on preaching the gospel, the topic of prayer would still nevertheless arise occasionally in his teaching. And so we're taking two weeks to examine uh, what Jesus taught to the crowds uh, related to prayer. Last week, we looked at uh, how prayer promises a future of blessing from Luke chapter 6, verse 20 and 21. And we saw that the first three Beatitudes in Jesus' sermon are all expressed through prayer, though we don't often think about it. Those who are spiritually beggars those who are spiritually hungry, those who are spiritually sorrowful, where do they all go? They all go for their help, their satisfaction, their joy to the throne of God. And there they find the satisfaction, the fullness, the help that they need. So really it says blessed are, and it mentions all those things, but you could even summarize that by saying blessed are they who pray, who pray. Prayer promises a future blessing. Well, tonight we're going to look at how prayer impacts or imparts a future or a focus of benevolence. And this is from Luke 
chapter 6, verses 27 through 28. Now again, for some context, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus is teaching the crowds there in Israel uh, what a true disciple or what a true follower of his looks like. Uh, In verses 20 through 26, Jesus says, in essence, that true followers are marked by repentance, right? Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are those who weep now um, and who, when rejecting sin and turning their back on it and turn to God, uh, people hate them and exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil and all that fun stuff. (laughs) Um, True followers are marked by repentance, And in verses 27 through 38, Jesus then begins to lay out that true followers are also marked by love. So not only a godly repentance accompanies salvation, but a godly love accompanies salvation as well. Uh, And so here, as we're looking at these two verses tonight, verses 27 through 28, Jesus starts describing what divine love looks like when it is expressed Uh, and What we're going to see tonight is when you get right to the heart of the matter, divine love shown towards the most unlovable, as Jesus is going to show us, is birthed from a redeemed heart that is given over to prayer. A redeemed heart given over to prayer. So listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 28. When you study it, it has to be one of the most convicting verses in all of Scripture. Jesus says this, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Notice how Jesus begins this command. To his followers. Jesus says in verse 27, But I say to you who hear. So here Jesus is changing his audience. He's changing who he's talking to. Back in verses 20 through 26, Jesus was talking to the entire crowd in front of him. And he was saying, this is what a true follower of mine looks like. He repents. He takes my word seriously. He listens for the sake of understanding and following me. And he says also in verses 24 through 26, if you were to look at those verses, he basically tells them, for those of you right now whose only concern is to be rich and full, frivolous and famous, woe to you, Jesus says in verses 24 through 26. You're not my disciple if that's your only concern. Well, here in verse 27, Jesus pivots his focus and says, but now I say to you who hear, right? And he means spiritually. To those who have the spiritual capacity to hear my words for what they are and understand them. Jesus here is addressing true disciples. True followers of Christ. They are those who hear. What is the most fundamental characteristic of someone who has been gripped by the saving grace of God. They hear and they understand the word of God to be what it is, the word of God. As Jesus said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. That's how a sheep is defined. He is someone who hears the voice of Christ 
and follows. True disciples hear and recognize the word of God as the word of God. It's clear, inerrant, sufficient, and absolute in its authority. So Jesus is limiting these words that he's about to say regarding love to those who hear, to genuine believers. You want to know why? It's because the only people who have the capacity and ability to do what Jesus is about to say are those who have had God's love poured into their hearts, as Romans 5.5 5 says, to those who know the love of God in Christ. No one else can even come close to living out what Jesus is about to say here, except for those who have been born again. And I want you to think about this this evening. Think about that. The only way the unredeemed world will ever be able to see the love that Jesus describes here, which is a godly, divine, gospel love, is if they see it through you and me. We are the only ones. You and I who have trusted in Christ are the only ones who can do this. The only people capable of doing it. The way the world will see the love of God in Christ is by first seeing the love of God in us. So let's see this love of God that's described here. How are we doing in the area of showing gospel love in our lives? First, Jesus says these three words. He says, love your enemies. With that one phrase, Jesus defines the boundary of the love that we're supposed to show to others. You know what the boundary of your love is supposed to be? It was a trick question. There is no boundary to your love as a believer. There is none. The love of Christ's disciples is to be boundless. That's what Jesus is saying. Encompassing every individual without exclusions. That doesn't mean you accept what everybody says. That means you love them in spite of what they say and what they believe and what they do. The love of Christ's disciples is to be all-encompassing. Like we learn with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Later on in Luke, we're to show love to everyone. Jesus says here, even to your, who? Your enemies. And in fact, in the Greek, Jesus is very precise. The enemies of you, right? It's really easy to love enemies that aren't actually enemies of us, right? Like, you know, you might look on the news and there's these Muslims that are beheading Christians overseas. And be like, well, I really really love them, right? but it's the guy that sits next to me in my office cubicle that drives me up the wall, right? Those are the people we struggle to show love to. And Jesus says, no, that's the person you ought to show love to. You need to show love to. Your enemies. Why? Because that is exactly the type of love that God has shown to you. Romans 5 verse 8 says this, God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then you look over in verse 10, and it says, while we were enemies. While we were enemies. God loved us, ladies and gentlemen, when we were enemies. When we hated God, he loved us. When we blasphemed God, he demonstrated his love towards us. Therefore, we are to love others when they are our enemies as well. Jesus does not allow his followers to determine who they're going to love and who they're not going to love. We don't get the option of saying, okay, these are the people I get along well with, and so I'll demonstrate love to them, but these are the people I really can't stand, and I'm just going to ignore them. Jesus says, that's not an option. That's not gospel love. That's not godly love. That won't show the world that you're my disciples. 
we don't get to determine who we're going to love and who we're not going to. You might say, and I've heard these expressions, well, you don't understand what so-and-so did to me. I'll tell you tonight, it's true. I don't know what so-and-so did to you, but I do know Jesus said, love your enemies. You say, you know, you don't understand, though, how this person treated me. You're right, I don't. But I do know Jesus says, love your enemies. You say, well, how? I could never have feelings of affection towards someone who has treated me like that. Well, Jesus isn't talking here about exercising your feelings. He's talking about exercising your will. That word love here, love your enemies, is agape in the Greek. It is the type of love that is rooted in the will. It's the type of love that chooses to love regardless of the object's worth or merit. Uh, That's the way that God has loved us. Uh, Deuteronomy 7 verse 7 tells us that God set his love on us. And therefore we are to set our love on others. God did not love you, ladies and gentlemen, because he sat up in heaven and said, look at how wonderful this individual is. I am drawn in, in, in emotional affection towards them. Therefore, I will send my son. No, Jesus looked at us while we were yet sinners, while we were hateful of God and hateful of one another, while we were living life in rebellion against him, and he said, you know what, for my own honor and glory, I'm going to volitionally set my love on these people who do not deserve it. That is what Jesus calls all of us to do. This has nothing to do with our feelings. This has everything to do with our will. Will we obey God in this way as he commands us to do? Um, these are heavy words from Christ. But in this is all the law and the prophets fulfilled. Everything that they have written regarding what we ought to do in terms of loving God and loving one another is right here. Love your enemies. We're to love everyone. As Jesus says later in verse 22, even the person who has wrongfully hated you and excluded you and reviled you and lied about you to others. Jesus says, love even that person. So how is that love expressed, right? I mean, it's good to say, love your enemies. Okay, well, what does that look like? What does that look like? Jesus shows us uh, in, next in three ways that supernatural divine love is expressed. Jesus says, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. Three ways to show divine supernatural love. Notice, divine love goes beyond just saying, man, they really did me harm, but I'm not going to do harm to them. The question of divine love is not, um, okay, you've never done anyone any harm. The question is, have you ever done them any good? Think about the people that have really acted as your enemy in life. I don't want to know, okay, have you managed to be able to bite your tongue and not punch them in the face? Jesus asked the question, uh, have you opened your mouth in love to them, and have you used your hands in ways that bless them? Have you done good? That's what makes this love supernatural. It's actually putting your hands to work because you desire for them every possible good. So let's look at this one at a time. Jesus says, do good to those who hate you. 
See, agape love not only involves doing nothing bad, it actually involves doing something good to those who hate you. That word good is kalos in the Greek, and it means to do something inherently good. Uh, Not just superficially good. Sometimes when someone doesn't like us, we are tempted to do something good towards them so that they'll get off of our back, get out of our hair, ignore us for a while, right? It's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about doing something that is ultimately good for them. And the most, and to remind you, one of the most ultimate goods we can ever do for someone is to lead them to the Savior, Jesus Christ. It's to have a redemptive relationship with them. The ultimate good is leading them to Christ. And again, this is just a challenge. You are not loving your enemy if you're saying they stay on that side of the office and I stay on this side of the office. Or, God forbid, they stay on this side of the sanctuary and I stay on that side of that's not love that's not love that's not leading them to eternal good that's why Romans twelve seventeen says this repay no one evil for evil to the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him something to drink for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. We are to love our enemies by actively doing them good. Just as Jesus held out, if you remember, a piece of bread to Judas in the Last Supper, we're to reach out to those who hate us and spurn us as well in love. 1 John 3.18 says, We are not to love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. We're to love our enemies by doing them every possible good available to us. So I want you to think about that. If there's someone in your life right now where, if you're to be honest, though you might not share it with anybody else, you have a root of bitterness in your heart towards them. That is not right. You ought not to be bitter towards your enemy. You ought to love your enemy. Okay? So then here's the hard part. If there's still an influence in your life and you have a relationship with them, what is one good positive, actual thing you could do for them to show them love. That's what Jesus is talking about. We're to give every possible good available to us and show that to them because we wish, as he's going to mention next, every possible good available to them. That's why Jesus says next, bless those who curse you. Right? Why would you ever want to actively do good to your enemies? Well, you have to answer it's because deep down you desire their ultimate good, right? That's the only reason why you would show them good is because you desire for them to see good. There's no other explanation. The only reason why you do good to them is because you desire good for them. You have to have a heart that genuinely desires their ultimate good, and that's where the battle's at, ladies and gentlemen, is it not? To loving your enemies? It's right here. Do I even want them to experience any good thing in life? Or am I hating them in my heart? We are to genuinely desire their ultimate good. Jesus says this should be our heart. Even when people vilify you, he says, bless those who curse you. As Job said in Job 31, 29 through 30, Have I rejoiced at the ruin of him who hated me or exalted when evil overtook him? No, I have not let my mouth sin by asking for his life with a curse. 
So when someone pours out vile verbal abuse on you, when they insult you and insult your character, we are to show them Christ's love by not only doing good to them, but deep down earnestly desiring good for them. This is the love of God that his children are to show. That requires a heart change, does it not? I'm not here yet. (laughs) Not fully. I need my heart to change. So what do I have available to me to help me change my heart so that I can become the type of person who earnestly desires what is best for my enemies and earnestly seeks to show them good? I have prayer. I have prayer. Jesus says next, pray for those who abuse you. This is where it all begins. How do you know when you're truly loving your enemy? How do you know when you're truly seeking them their best good? How do you know that your love has integrity? It's when you're all alone, in private, praying for those who hate you. That's when you know your love has integrity. Not just when you're making it look good on the outside, but when you are seeking their ultimate good before the throne of grace, when no one else will ever know about it, you're praying for them. The ultimate expression of divine love is to pray for someone who hates you, and we see that with Jesus, don't we? What did Jesus pray when he was on the cross? Did he say, Father, judge my enemies? No, he was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus prayed for his enemies, and we are too as well. Indeed, we are to pray for those who abuse us. It is as we pray for those who abuse us that our heart changes into a heart that desires blessings for those who curse us, and that changed heart produces a changed life that desires to do good to those who hate us. As verse 29 and following describes, that turns the other cheek. It's a life that offers the extra cloak. It's the life that gives without interest, expecting no return. It all starts right there with prayer. With prayer. Prayer imparts a focus of benevolence. It is as we pray for our enemies that God creates within us a love for our enemies that compels us to do good for our enemies, just like Christ did for us. We are warned in the book of Hebrews to not let a root of bitterness spring up in your hearts that by it you become a tool to defiling many. There are many Christians that enter into a church and because of the bitterness that they have not dealt with in their heart, corrupt the body with their unloving attitudes towards others. Let that not be said of us. We've got to root out bitterness, and it begins by starting the discipline of prayer. Prayer for those who have wronged us. Prayer for those who have wronged us. And that's what the world needs to see. They need to see the love of God in Christ seen in us that is without boundaries, that is without pretense, and that is without partiality. It's what we always sing, right? They will know we are Christians. How? our love. That's what Jesus says here. 
It all begins with prayer. And so, once again, that's why we're here. So tonight, let's dedicate ourselves to praying, to praying for all men, even for our enemies.